Hey, boy. Welcome to Fox Podcast. What's up for your day, Mike? What's up for your day, Mike? Uh, we are Fickwood, Tennessee. We're Tennessee, finally. What else? That was a great intro, Seth. Um, I say congratulations <laughs> for um, Tim Staffordshire's. Congratulations to Tim Stafford Church. Yep. That's Thank right. You. Absolutely, buddy. It's a congratulations for Fox Podcast. Yep, and congratulations and thank you to Vox Podcast. That's right. And All these else? conversations about church have really and, led uh, me to launching a church called the <laughs> Tim Stafford Church. Yes. That's the big announcement today. <laughs> the new denomination is Stafford. I like this. I like this. Uh, I like this Seth intro vibe we yeah, got going. That's good. Anything else you want to say, buddy? Um, yeah. What else? Um, oh, is bite arlo is bite yeah so arlo our puppy is biting so yeah. bite he bites daddy mike and mom which is it's i love that he calls me daddy mike that's <laughs> I, what i, I am. call mike yeah no you call me daddy mike <laughs> and what do you call mama uh, mistina bear mistina bear which is justina bear with an m it's perfect Mustina bear, which you know Mustina. probably describes her smell a little hey, Dad, more accurately. Dad, yes. I like Tim Staff, Tim Tim and Tim Staff Nick Erie Thomas. Nick, Tim Staff Nate Erie Thomas. Yep. Okay. Perfect. Charles I like and, it. and yep. Bob. Charles and Bob. That's excellent. <laughs> excellent. Let's end on Bob. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's a big episode. Um. I don't know what happened at the end of our previous kind of mini episode. Some of you, some of you were accusing us of cutting that off uh, purposefully, uh, just being being a tease. Um, someone emailed just three simple words followed by each followed by a period. How dare you? Um, <laughs> so this is episode three hundred. And Tim, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta confess that oh. I did not ever think the number of episodes would approach my weight. So um, <laughs> that was my opening joke. I thought of that there in the shower is. this like morning. It. There it was. No, like um, it. 300 freaking episodes. That's six years, bro. Um, That's a lot. It is. We were podcasting before every middle-aged white guy had one. So yeah. um, all that so is to say, fault. well, nope, nope. Um, all that is to say, we want to do a little celebrating today. So we've got some stuff. First of all, and I know you are going to have to suffer through this, but doggone it, I've got some thank yous. Yeah. Literally, we've 300 episodes. We've done mini episodes. We've done bonus episodes. So it's actually more than that. Uh, we just have That's a whole, whole heck of a lot of thank yous for people. First person. 318 episodes. That's a great round number. Let's go with that. I think it's accurate. Oh my goodness! I mean, what? What? That's crazy. So technically, episode three hundred was a couple of weeks ago. How many? How many people? How many people do you think have listened to every episode? Ten. That's a great question. I mean, first of all, I don't know if they should get a, a reward or they, they need therapy. <laughs> but we that get badges. Oh my! We don't need no stinking badges. We don't need no stinking badgers. Um. But yeah, if you've listened to all 318 episodes, please let us know. We'll send you some sort of merchandise. Uh, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> my wife, 
I don't think my wife has listened to 18, let alone the 318, <laughs> and I think that's probably the way it should be. The um, merchandise that you'll get will likely be... Uh, every, the, people were excited about the t-shirt idea from... They were. They were. We need, all right, so I, we need some new... Once we announce the new name, we need some merch, Tim. That's going to yeah. be part of your job. Yep, I'm on it. All right. Um, so so I want to I wanna thank... Again, and this is going to take a little bit, but I'm sorry. These these are incredibly important people. Life podcast. Andy Laura, who was the he, he was initially going to produce it, then became kind of producer co-host. This this guy was um, instrumental. I mean, I remember we sat in my house in Placentia. I just resigned from a church, and uh, we were like, "Hey, what if we start a podcast?" And he ran with it. Um, we came up with the name Vox and bam, um, bam. And, and he really, uh, he came, you know, he did all the graphic work I and mean, he did everything except, um, some of the content, although he became a, a great partner, uh, in yeah. terms of like conversation and stuff. So many thanks to Andy. Um, uh, my friend Johanna. Um, has been a mentor, an older sister, a CFO, part of our board. She's been supportive from the word go. Our friends Kevin and Cherie have been beyond their business expertise, their kindness, their generosity with their time, and their friendship has just been amazing. Their mentoring and the ways of like technology, uh, they've been incredible. My friend Alicia, who was somebody who came in um, and supported the Vox community and the podcast like super early and uh, was so generous. Uh, it really opened up possibilities for the podcast that we'd never yeah. considered. Vox community, we formed a church out of this podcast. It's still going. And uh, that's a that, group of people. It, it really is. We started with 83 people. And uh, these were people who'd just been listening to the podcast, and we started a, a community, and they are just rock stars. They, they actually have lived, put flesh and blood on so yeah. many of the things we've talked about. Our friend Brenda uh, has Brenda. been... Uh, Brenda has donated, I mean, gobs and gobs of time for an expertise for rebranding and naming and, and website and all the stuff we're about to announce. So she and her team, and they're great friends. I mean, they're just great friends. Uh, Bonnie Lewis. Bonnie. Was a really important co-host and friend and mentor. I mean, she, she when I took a sabbatical uh, to work on some of my crap, um, you and Bonnie really held the show together. Bonnie booked ton of incredible guests i mean it was what a gift <laughs> she had a she, she she had a great run um and then i, I want to thank phil and jules They're, those are some some friends from way back who've been incredibly generous with the podcast um and and again we can dream dreams that are different because of people like that yeah. and then you timothy um what a fun tim and i i didn't know tim and i were at rock harbor a church in costa mesa together uh, and then I was I did a wedding of one of his best friends, and we were at a wedding together. And then through a mutual friend, we got reconnected, and it has just been an absolute joy, Tim, to uh, be in this season with you. You you add uh, honesty and, and ruthless integrity 
Um, you, you are a huge blessing to me in terms of the questions uh, that we wrestle with and, and being a conversation partner. And so I'm super grateful for you. And it's just been a joy to do this with you. Uh, and here's to, here's to 300 more. Same Z's um, and here's to 300 yep, more. And, and may my weight never approach those sorts of numbers. <laughs> um, so I want to, so, so I want to say thank you to all those people. So, yeah. um, the, the last episode was fun and playful and <laughs> we're just totally obnoxious and, and it, and the, your response was awesome. Uh, because it, it turns out some of you actually care about this, which we think is super fun. So we do have a name. We are going to talk about it. We have a, we kind of have an extra long celebration 300th episode today, but before we go anywhere else, Seth yeah. is staring in my face right yeah, now. Yeah. What? I say Seth Erie here. Oh, oh, I need to, he, I need to thank Seth Erie. Oh, obviously. That's what he, he pointed at the list of people I'm thinking. He said Seth Erie up here. So I need to say thank you to Seth Erie yes. for being the best theological guide in the history of the planet. He is Seth is kind he, of the heart of this podcast. He is the no, he really is. He is my mentor in the way of the kingdom of Jesus. Yeah. He really is. So thank you, Seth, and my sweet wife Justina, my lord, what she's put up with. And how many times she's had to usher the kids into other rooms. So um I tell you what. I, this has been uh, a, a wonderfully gracious project of many, many people and many gifts, and so thank you. And then, and then, thanks to all of you. I mean, what, 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 what? Um, the thousands of listeners we have, the hundreds of supporters that we have. I mean, it's ridiculous. So thank you. Uh, what an honor to do this. But the best way we can honor, uh, I think, everybody is to finally after after months <laughs> uh we wanted to have so we were changing the name because uh, we don't want to be confused with vox media but we loved vox we wanted to keep vox in there and uh someone it was either brenda or someone from brenda's team came up with the idea of voxology the study of vox or like the theology of voice yeah. Uh, and we absolutely she that when they were brainstorming new names, that was one name that came out Voxology, and we loved it. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. This is Voxology. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. We got new music too. We have oh. a color palette. What? We have a website that's going to be built <laughs> out. We're going to have social media images. It's real. All of yep. the doubters, all the haters. I just shook it off. I just shook that <laughs> off. They're going to hate. I shook it off. Thanks, T Swizzle. Because because we actually did have a new name, and, and we liked Voxology because it's a play on Doxology. Yes. which is a wonderful uh, religious word. And um, someday, I Tim, I hope you show, it's a play off of Vitology, which is our, our favorite <laughs> Pearl Jam record. Um, and so Tim came up with like, if you go back and look at the like CD design for that album cover, um, you can put Voxology right over it. So there you go. So Brenda, <laughs> thank you. Um, our team, well done. How fun the Voxology podcast. So, so 
Tim, we'll have to have some sort of buzzer in case we mistakenly call ourselves oh, sure the Vox Podcast. Episode 301, I'm sure you're going to say. Yep. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Vox Podcast. We'll nope. just do like a, you should just record the word and I can just dub it over. <laughs> or have Seth or someone, we'll just dub it. Hey, Seth. Yeah? Come here a second. Okay. All right. Say Voxology. Fox yes, there it, there it is. is. There it is. That's how you say it, ladies and so gentlemen. Everything, everything will change a little bit. You can see the new branding if you're interested on the social medias. And then our website will be changing to voxologypodcast.com. And um, we have a whole new site that'll be coming soon that will have like a totally different user experience and lots of resources and yes. past guests and all sorts of stuff. So. The yep. website is 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 coming soon with a bunch of gadgets and gizmos. Oh yes, they make these. I don't know. I, I'm learning about this, but they make these things called widgets. widgets. We have all all kinds of widgets going on in widgets. there. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, we have kind of a supersized 300th episode. Um, many of you have called in, or texted in, or emailed in. We wanted to do, because we've been wrestling so um, long and thoroughly <laughs> with uh, the church and our place in it and, and, and what, what's the reality of it and what is worth celebrating. Um, wait, wait, wait. First of all, first of all, before oh, we get way too ahead of ourselves. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to hijack the episode for a second. Oh, hold on a second. Hey everybody, welcome to Voxology. I'm your host, oh. Tim. Ooh. I'm here with Mike Erie, oh. the former host of the Vox podcast with Mike oh. Erie. So, Michael. I, I need to change my LinkedIn profile. You do. I just made mine so <laughs> yeah. you can get in Do you there. have one? Do you really have I, one? I, I like just started one this week. What? Is there something I need to know, Tim? You'll find out in time. No! Don't do it, Tim. <laughs> Don't do it. All right, Mike. However many years ago, six years ago, what was the point? Why start this podcast and what was the what was the mission or what was the goal or what did you want to see done or why did you do it? Oh my goodness, Timothy John. Um man, maybe you should do the interviews. I mean this is <laughs> this is hard hitting. You're on the hot seat. Yes. Is this what it's like? Yeah. Um uh, I, hot takes with Tim. I had just um had a really mixed experience as a senior pastor of a, of a large uh, conservative church. And um, I, I saw some of the great things that really good people in the church can do and organize and pull off. And I saw some of the, the difficult um, and burdensome things that folks that have other agendas can pull off. And so I was, I was in this mixed, weird, hurting spots uh, at fault for many things, but but just wrestling with, I guess the biggest thing I came away from that whole experience with is there were these massive conversations happening culturally. Gay marriage had just been affirmed. Um, we were in the middle of, I mean, huge used conversations about human sexuality, and I felt super constrained by. Mm. And, and Gombas has spoken about this and you know many times, but I felt constrained um, 
in my ability to at least have conversations around these topics without, totally. you know, creating massive division in a, in a really big organization. And so um, we thought we wanted to create, because there was this, this line I'd heard years ago, this church should be the safest place to talk about anything. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, I just, I so resonated with that from years ago. And I just, I believe it to my core. If we're, if we're people that believe in grace, then, then we should be the most hopeful, gentle, kind people, patient people. For people that really believe in sin, that we should never be surprised. <laughs> you know what I mean? That like, totally. there really is evil out there. And if we're people that believe in redemption, we should never give up hope, ever. Yeah. Like three different ways of talking about grace. Yeah, totally. And, and so I, podcasting, um, I had an acquaintance, Rob Bell, who had just launched a podcast. And uh, Andy had let me know about bad Christian and liturgists. And so this was before the podcast space had a thousand zillion other people. <laughs> and, and they were able to have these very free-flowing conversations without the attendant sort of um, uh, division or confusion. And so... Yeah, we, I mean, the first podcast we did was Why Gay Marriage is Good for the Church. That's right. Episode and one. episode one. And it was just the idea uh, that um, there had to be a reckoning with all of the church's double standards now on sexuality. Um, we'd, we'd, we'd have, we have no problem with divorced couples, and Jesus talks about that pretty clearly. And now that gay marriage was legal, what are we going to do? Uh, and, you know, there was a completely different set of rules and expectations. So um, what we never expected was to have a community form around this in all of the ways it's been an incredible encouragement. Like, um, I, I mean, I just can't tell you the thought-provoking questions and emails we get. The affirming, the critiques, the, I mean, it's just been a, it's been a kind of a remarkable <laughs> ride, really. And so I, you know, so the, the goal of it was just to be able to have a place where not as the pastor of a church, but as someone who was curious, we could have loads of conversations totally. with people that didn't have, and we, and we committed early on that even if we had people on that we disagreed with, our podcast wasn't a place to disagree with them. Our podcast was a place for us to hear their best stuff. And so like early on, we had Rob Bell on and it was, why didn't you criticize him? Why didn't you confront him? You know, and it was like, well, no, that's, we want his best stuff. He's got stuff yeah. to say. Um, and so it's been a, it's been a, a, a value of ours that um, we're creating space that doesn't have to be resolved. Uh, with the right answers all the time. And that mirrors, obviously, that was mirroring my journey for sure. But um, it certainly is mirroring kind of what's happening in the greater culture. What's, what was beginning to happen six years ago is so accelerated now. Yeah. And I think that's why there are so many podcasts, right? There's so much conversation that needs and processing that needs to be had around all of this stuff. You know, it's like, Massive amounts of group therapy. <laughs> yeah. Kind of wonderful in that way. You have everybody, <laughs> instead of people all just kind of sitting idle, you have a lot of people engaging. Right. And we see that in deconstruction, but we also just see that in like. Totally. You know, 
very forward conversations. So six years, do you have any idea of how many listens there has been overall in six years? Huh? Do you have a ballpark? Do you have a guess? Do you know? How many people have listened to the, I'm looking at it right now. I just looked it up. Oh, uh, I know we passed a million. So we did pass a million and we are now over 3 million. No way. 3 really? Million, 3.03 million listens over the last six years. Dang. Pretty crazy. It's a lot. Yeah. Of- My wife was 18 of those. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So six years you start That's with like, amazing. A, Hey, we should have a place where we can kind of have these conversations. Um, obviously there's been things that we've said over and over again, over that time period of like creating a safe place for everybody. Um, yep. Uh, you know, I used to share the podcast long before I was working on it. I used to share it with people cause I knew you as a teacher cause I'd gone to church with you. And so I would send, uh, which is how our mutual friend got in your orbit was yeah, yeah. I would send him sermons and be like, why don't you take it, you know, listen to this. Now, when the podcast happened, I was like, oh, yeah. Remember that guy, Mike, that I would send you the sermons? Well, this is kind of Mike off the leash. <laughs> like, he doesn't have to, like, whatever. So it's kind of fun, and we can get, you know, this is getting down, sitting in the dirt, and kind of having, you know, sing what's what. And um, But as you look back at six years, what... Dude, look at you interviewing. I love this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What, uh, as you reflect on six years, what have been kind of the yeah. highlights of like the surprises and the highlights of that time period. Oh my goodness. The whole thing's surprising. Absolutely. Never would have expected this and all the friendships and relationships that have come from it. The, uh, which is also probably the, the highlight it, it, it has been through, um, some, uh, difficult years for me personally, it has been, an amazing outlet and centering um, activity. A safe place. Yeah. And, and, and that's, you know, I know that's the cliche thing to say, Tim, but I didn't realize how much I needed a place like this, you know? Yeah. And the places where we've been vulnerable, the places where we've shared um, kind of ugly stuff about me or about our, you know, us or whatever, um, it's been remarkable um, to know we're not alone, to know it it hasn't felt, I guess here's the big surprise, it's never felt performative. It's never felt like we have to get on here and pretend. Yeah. And and so often in sermon land, you know, in my immaturity, I always felt like you had to perform. I I don't eat more, but that's largely because of this. Yeah, oh, this space. Yeah, this space was like having all the conversations and, and learning. I mean, my goodness, we've talked to some folks that I think are so in left field, but I've learned so much from them. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. So it's just been great. A couple. Won't well, name names. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I interviewed this guy Kevin once. Um, <laughs> no, but it, it's been, I mean, I, we'll, we'll, we don't need to congratulate anyone anymore. It, it's been, it's been amazing. So man, thank you. Thank you, yeah, Tim. And thank, thank you. you. Yeah. So thank you, um, Seth. Yes, Seth Erie. Um, so can I jump ahead again? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for 
I forgot we wanted to share just a little bit about the, the history if you're newer to the podcast. It's kind of um, a birthday. Yes. So uh, the birth of Voxology. Dude, it is birth- the death of the Vox podcast. It's like a phoenix. So we're going to keep talking about the church. We can't get over it. Like, I mean, I, we got feedback. Uh, um, it was fun. It was just like, hey, you know, you don't have to care so much about it. And, and I don't know. That I just a lot of the feedback is exactly that. Right. It's like you Which don't have to Which is blowing my care. mind a little bit. Yeah. And, and, and maybe they're right. I don't think they're right at all. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So what we thought we'd do on episode 300 is that we would, um, because we did this for episode 200, we we talked about what do we think the church is going to be like in the future. And and, and we, I guess I kind of wanted to revisit a little bit about what we've learned. What, what, what's, because we've seen stuff, so much stuff to lament over the last couple of years and we've seen i've seen and i have to be reminded that i've seen stuff that makes me really hopeful um for the church in a couple of years because the church is this weird hybrid that is both an organism in the sense that it's a family um and in our configuration it is an organization with budgets and utility bills and hiring (laughs) policies and you know, and so it's this messy kind of hybrid thing. Coffee shops and gymnasiums. And- yes, yes. And bad slogans and, and um, horrible church names. But so on the one hand, the organism, this majestic towering body of Jesus on earth can never, ever, ever be threatened. Right. Can never be, which has been some of the pushback that we've gotten from people. Yeah, exactly. You can't you can't threaten that, but the organ uh, organization that can be, yes. and and so we celebrate partially, well, more than partially in my case, the dismantling of some of these very prominent evangelical quote unquote organizational structures. Yeah. Now, now, the, so an, an organization can be called Christian and not be Christian. And so in some cases, um, I think the, some of the stuff that's being found out about certain organizations is anti-Christian. Um, oh, it's yeah, anti-Christ. And, it's, and, and you're just like, well, how, why wouldn't I celebrate that, that destruction? Yes. Of course. That's been the weird thing with a lot of the pushback is I'll think often about like a sibling. And if I, if my sister is like doing something that's harming her, herself, whether it's drugs or something, I don't know. Yeah. She's doing yeah, something yeah, yeah. that's harming herself. I will intervene and I don't love her any less with the confrontation. Right. You I'm do it because you love her. Exactly. And that's how I feel yeah. with the church is like, it's, it's not, it's not like out of hatred no. or something that. I want to pick at these things. It's because I care about it and I want it to represent Jesus well. Yeah. And a lot of the time I don't think that it is. And well, listen, I, okay. Okay. I think people are <laughs> sick of hearing us yap about it. Really? So yeah, I think that's it, why they tune in. They just false. want to hear Tim's <laughs> troubled times. Tim's troubled times. I, I'm telling you, 
I'm telling you, we were probably at 1 million listens until we introduced <laughs> that. And that's then what, that's what pushed it forward. Just yes. wait until we really get Mike's miserable moment going. <laughs> Mike's moment of misery or whatever it was. <laughs> so, so I think I want to, I don't know. I think we should bring in some other voices. Because yeah. one of the things that's been a highlight on the Vox journey has been hearing from people that I would never have gotten to have conversations with and yeah. who've become friends kind of along the way. Totally. You know, so, so I don't know. Let's see, let's see if we can get some people on the horn. The horn Tim. is so forlorn. You know? So yeah. what, do you, what do you say? I mean, it feels like Bonnie Lewis ought to be a conversation partner in this. Absolutely be a part of episode 300. 300. Yes, and the launch of Voxology. Let's get her on the phone. Let's do it. Nice. Bonnie, if you don't know, man, Bonnie was... Um, I mean, how do you describe her, Timothy? She's a theologian. Yes. She's written a Bible translation. Yes. Last I checked, she was writing a musical yes. about what it is like to be a woman in a very conservative church environment. Yes. She's one of the best Bible teachers I've ever heard. Yes. And she was a co-host for the show for over a year through a really difficult season. Yes. And um, she's kind of an all-star. So, uh, Tim, you got her? I got her. You there, Bonnie? Are you there? Uh, hello. <laughs> that voice is the. It is the voice of an angel. Absolutely. I don't know. You should. We should ask my kids and see. <laughs> Sometimes angels have to yell. That's okay. <laughs> yes, it's exactly. Not fine. all angels have wings. Not all yeah. heroes have capes. Bonnie, how are you? What have you been up to? Are you still doing the musical? Please say yes. Okay, yes, but it's also my long game. Oh, uh, I really okay. I really enjoy a, a nice long game. I'm still <laughs> hoping for the musical. I like still doing it on pause. What happened was I actually wrote the first act and then there was a part in the first act that I was like most interested in. So I said, oh, I think I should research that thing. So then I dove into that and then I realized, oh, no, no, I want to do this right now. And I think it will actually help me for later projects. Oh. So I actually applied for a grant and um, I won't find out until December if I got it. But it's a research grant and it's about basically um, how certain words in both our literary documents and sacred texts that help found the nation, how they're only written by white men and what a difference it makes when we have other voices. Whoa. Mm -hmm. now, December now that, is a really long time to wait in like you're telling the fog. me. <laughs> you're telling me. So I'm just pretending as though I got it and I have just started. I mean, because what else are you going to do? If I don't get it, I'll still do it. You know what right. I mean? So, yeah. So some words are have only been used like they're imported European sort of ideas that are only used by white guys. Well, no. So like only white men wrote some of our nation's founding documents. Right. And then yes. there's actually only been one woman to ever translate the Bible in its entirety. And she was actually her name was Julia E. Smith. And she um, was a big player in the suffrage movement in general. Hmm. So wow. I started researching her. Yeah. And kind of what happened to her. And then I started looking at these different things, specifically in the 14th and 15th Amendments and how there was such a battle, right? Like we talk mm -hmm. about the Revolutionary War and we talk about, and then obviously the amendments after that, but a lot of the stuff that we got freedom from was only freedom for the white male. Mm. 
Mm. uh, people of color or indigenous people and women, they did not get those same freedoms. They were still um, sort of blocked in many ways. Mm. And so some of the suffrage movement, like the big players in the suffrage movement, what they did is they took some of those amendments and they boiled it down to one word and said, like, you can't use the word he here. And so Mm. they had big discussions and battles. So I'm kind of looking at this idea of what did we use? We used the printing press. Um, where did our rhetoric come from? They mm. studied like Greeks and Romans when they wrote it. And so sort of looking at uh, philosophy of literature and study and how that goes into the lenses that we use when we interpret documents. And then what does that mean now? And do we have hope? Like, what is our hope if we want to go back and sort of reinterpret it as we are striving for this, uh, for equality in our nation? Only my friend, my dear long-term friend, only you could have turned a musical into that. And, and so, hopefully it'll go back. So that is that is incredible. So up your alley. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so good. Oh my goodness. So I think it'll be fun. It already is fun. But oh, Bonnie. Um, one of the one of the things I wanted to talk about briefly today is um, you had, I don't remember the context, but we were texting and you had said you were post-church. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, ooh, I don't know what that means. That sounds very important. And I was, so I was, I've been meaning to ask you in the context of this kind of larger episode that we're doing about what, what we're lamenting with the grossness that we've kind of seen, uh, but also are there parts that give us hope? I'd love to hear a bit about that for you. So what is that? Yeah. What does that mean? What prompted it? Um, What's that practically look like? I mean, Mm -hmm. just any, any direction you want to take that I'm interested in hearing your thoughts about. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've grew up as a church kid, as you guys know, always involved, obviously worked at many churches with you, Erie. And then when, since we moved to Austin, it's been a hard struggle to find a church. Part of Mm -hmm. it is location. Part of it's um, driving and do we want to do that? And you know, just kind of finding our groove here in a new city, a big part of, and then we stopped the search for a while because I hate searching for a church. (laughs) Um, And a big part of that was, um, and this is a, maybe another podcast, but is the um, shame based children's curriculum. I feel like that still exists. So even like in progressive churches that we saw that we were like, yes, you know, uh, they affirm women and women are leadership. Like, and they had a lot of the same things that we believed in. Still, the children's ministry was this stuff that my kids were confused or coming home. And mm. and my kids, um, especially my son, he's the kid, like, kid in church that raises his hand and is like, well, my mom says that Noah's Ark may not have actually happened. <laughs> like, there was always this <laughs> sort of thing. That's perfect. We were just, yeah, it was. It was so like, so we we're like, okay. And so it just was tough because I was like, even if we're comfortable... I don't know. We didn't know about, we wanted our kids to receive some of these shame-based messages. And then COVID hit. And I think when COVID hit and we no longer were allowed to search mm-hmm. or find, mm-hmm. the sense of relief I felt surprised mm. me, right? Mm. It was like, oh, I'm so glad I don't have to do that. Around- The, the sense of relief, you don't have to search or you don't have to- can be like care about that question or yeah i think at first it was i don't have to search like okay i can put that on pause yeah around that same time i think i had started emdr therapy 
which mm-hmm. we have talked about on this podcast as well. And actually it was a listener that said, you should try EMDR. And I'm so grateful because it has changed my life. I've done, I've been doing it for over a year now. That's awesome. But, um, it's so tough though. It's like, it's exhausting and it's so hard, but it's so good. Mm-hmm. And so this, these stories kind of go together because something that happens when you do therapy in general, I think, but especially EMDR is you have to go back into these places of trauma and you have to talk about it and you have to talk about a negative belief that you have about yourself when you think of that place of trauma. Mm -hmm. Then the therapist works with you and does like uh, my therapist did um, sort of vibrational tapping, but some do lights and to like help Mm -hmm. reprogram these neural pathways. And then by the end of it, you hopefully can come around to a positive belief that you have. And so you've moved it from your trauma center to your adaptive center of the brain. Mm. So that then if you have a trigger on that topic or whatever it is, you're not full in fight or flight mode, right? Mm. Right. Mm. And it was very tough at first because I could not rely on my own experience. So my therapist would say, okay, when you're talking about that time when you were a child or, you know, we're, we're discussing it, she'll say, what did you feel like? And it Mm. was just like a blank Mm. or where do you feel that in your body or what's the negative belief you have? And it was so hard for me to do that. And so I'm start to think on that. And I start to sort of look at everything that's going on. And by this time, I'm also now researching this stuff I've just explained to you and sort of the history yeah. of the church. So it's, it's all coming together yeah. sort of in this beautiful like storm mess. And when I'm stuck at homes, so I have nothing else to do. And I realized, so Carl Jung has this thing that he coined, this term he coined, and it's called object referral. And it means that we are used to having validation or even saying, okay, yes, my experience is true based on our outward circumstances or an outward mm-hmm. object or outward voice or validation. And then you have self-referral, which is going, oh, no, no, I trust that what I experienced is was real and true for me in that moment. And so as I'm working through therapy and learning to rely on my own experience so that I can move past some of these trauma places in my life, I'm also researching and realizing about how much the church and specifically a sort of role of a pastor and authority figure saying, this is what you believe, and this is how you believe it, and this is how you interpret it, that that served as an object referral for me. So Hmm. for a long time, I went through church and went through religion saying, I think this is true, but it must not be because it um, contradicts what this object of authority is saying to me. And so that constantly left me conflicted. So in COVID for the first time, I didn't have that object referral, right? I just, I had me, I had my experience. I had um, the Holy Spirit. I had talking and conversation and wrestling. And I realized like, oh my gosh, you know what? I actually really take Jesus seriously when he says, I am in you and you are in me and I'm in the father. And that there's something going on in me that I need to sort of understand. And I can't always validate. I can't always find truth or whatever based on what someone is saying that I actually have the capability to read the Bible and look at my experience and wrestle and to trust that I'm not going to know all the answers, but I do think the Holy Spirit's leading me. So it was like sort of this storm of all these different angles of just realizing that 
and this is not true for all churches, but in the churches that I mostly had been a part of in very formative years is that it served as an object referral for me, that it was always sort of this way of saying, this is how we do stuff and it has to fit in this way. And I had just really lost that own sense of self of Mm -hmm. going, oh, well, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? And what role can I play, right? So it was a, a constant sort of unknowing of myself. And I had to learn how to get back there, even just for the sake of trauma healing, to -hmm. then be able to say, oh, no, that was my experience. And that's a valid experience. And so here's how I can heal from that. Mm -hmm. Did you um, did you find that a number of and I'm I'm genuinely curious, a, a number, any number of the the memories that you were you're going back and revisiting were in set in church or in that environment was there was there even stuff there that you're having to go through and sort of revisit yeah so that's interesting so when i started emdr i said oh i'm pretty sure i need to come in here because i need to talk about the trauma from having a stillborn i mean that felt Mm -hmm. like a Mm no-brainer right yeah yeah and it was so funny because she said usually the thing that puts you in here is merely the very top tip Mm. of the iceberg there's Mm. probably all of this stuff that you've blocked out and you don't even remember yeah and i was like nuts no i mean i can think of a few things like my house burned down or like (laughs) i can think of a few but and so something that she explained to me that was actually very freeing and helpful she said trauma can be absolutely anything it can be that you had a stillborn it can also be that time in third grade when that kid broke your pencil and it was unfair Mm. and that shifted things for me because i realized oh it it really is based on like my experience in the world and how my unique experience is different from your unique and yours. So there are some things that happened in church settings that I would consider to be big traumas that I was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, that was a big moment. And that shifted something inside of me and I need to, I believe something about me and I've carried it. And then there wasn't, some stuff wasn't a big thing. It was Mm -hmm. more of, this is how I moved in life because of narratives I was told, whether it be in church or in family or, you know, uh, different things like that. And so therefore that informed the way that I perceived a situation or um, internalized something. Yeah. So, so, and I'm just trying to, to reflect this accurately. The church became an obstacle for you in developing, in finding kind of your authentic expression of Jesus following. Yeah. Is, is yeah, that how I, you would say that? Yes. I, I, I'm still, I, I, I'm, object referral is still abstract to me, so I'm not, yes. I mean, I'm sure I, I do it and have it, but I don't know that I understand it in this yes, context. Yes, well. I probably didn't explain it very well. So they, um, think of it like this, like if I, if I go back and I read, and this is, now I'm looking back and I'm like, oh, well, this is obviously no surprise because i was like the only way i can read the bible is by writing my own translation so like some of it's like well duh you were headed that way but um i didn't know it at the time but if i go back and i read this is a really good example if i go back and i read um c.s lewis and i read him through the lens of an evangelical christian i'm going to get something totally different out of it than as a deconstructed christian right i it just i can read the exact same thing and i'm now reading something different. And so I unpacking that I go, okay, well, why? Right. So it's not even necessarily the church. It's the culture around it. Mm -hmm. I am sure that there's an expression of church somewhere that would feel really good and comfortable. 
I think location is different for me. I think that like we're kind of out here. We're on the outskirts of Austin. But even then, I often wonder, like, if I was in a different part of the world, what would my spirituality look like? What would this be? So part of it is my specific location. And then part of it is American Christianity. I think that the way that we have freedom and power intertwined into the gospel really puts a lens on the text, but especially on Jesus that I'm not sure is actually there. And so for me, sometimes these megachurch expressions or the things that evangelicalism in particular has read into the text, that becomes an obstacle for me understanding Jesus um, Mm. in a way that makes sense for a global perspective. Yeah. Can you give an example? Are you comfortable Uh, doing that? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Um, Let me think. There's, There's so many, but... Um, so a really good um, book I read, and I think, I can't remember if I talked to you about this or not, but it's called, I think I told you to read it. I think I texted you and I was like, you've got to read this. It's um, Womanist Midrash and it's by mm-hmm. Gaffney. Yeah, it's in my Amazon cart. Okay, so she does this great thing. And, and this particular example is about um, a patriarchal lens on the text, mm. which I also have come to realize has been part of the world, but also American society for for just a very long time. So the ways I'm going to, when we've already talked about this, the ways I'm going to read it is going to be different than the way you're going to read it, but also even our interpretation of very specific words. So one of the things she points out, and then I actually translated it this way in Tim shell is in that story of the, the woman that she is um, a prostitute and she comes into the dinner and she does her hair thing all over with the jar. (laughs) (laughs) And like that has always bothered me because it's such a bizarre story. And then all Mm. you ever hear is like someone being like, what is your alabaster jar? Mm. And I'm always like, that cannot be what the story is about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so the point she makes in her book is she says, when, um, when men who have stake in power, to translate this a certain way and to uphold power. So not all men, but men who are doing it in this way are going to translate the word prostitute to our modern day understanding of prostitute. So immediately Mm. we have an emotion or a feeling about that woman before she even walks in the room. That's so good. That's so so true. Yeah. And so then therefore everything she does is now weird and sexual. Uh Yes. Yes. Right. And yes. so she makes this point, And then I checked it is like, oh, no, no, that word was actually what you and I would use for someone who's been sex trafficked. Mm. So then you zoom out and you zoom out and you zoom out and you realize that what she's doing is she is seeking love and she is actually seeking freedom and to escape. But the only she has been so emotionally abused and sexually abused and probably verbally abused that the only way she knows how to communicate that is her language Mm. and so then it changes the entire story right Right, we have now we understand what jesus is saving her from if if the first story jesus is just saving another woman from being too sexual well that just perpetuates our idea of women right of being Mm. that way that is goes back way in the back but if it's somebody that has been enslaved and Jesus is coming in, well, that opens up an entirely different story, perspective, yeah. and call yeah. for all of us. Right. Yeah. That's and a great it, example. It was, yeah, that's a great example. And it really goes into the shaming that you were mentioning regarding children's ministry, but, but all too often is just at the core of Christian ethics. Yeah. Or at least, yeah. It's, 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 yeah. It, that's, well, and if we go back to that, 
object referral, this, that's a really good example to flesh out even more. If that woman is seen as um, like someone who's promiscuous or someone who mm -hmm. is over and we over sexualize her, mm -hmm. then we are going to look at everybody else in the room to tell us what to do with her. Yeah. So what did Jesus do with her? What did the Pharisees do with her? Therefore, mm -hmm. I, uh, what should I do, right? If we actually understand her story better, we now go, oh, who is she? What's her experience? Why is she looking that, like, why is she acting that way? And now we're interested in her. So the same thing, if we flip that on ourselves, it's very different. If we, if we understand, it's like, no, no, no I'm a, I'm a being and I have the Holy Spirit inside me and I'm walking through the world and this is my experience. That's very different. And I trust that experience and I trust the Holy Spirit guiding me. That's very different than walking into a room and going, what do, who do these people say that I am? Mm. Um, there's this great book that Sai has been reading and it's called What Happened to You? And it's all about trauma and this. I, oh, I read that in puberty, but okay. <laughs> no. Sorry. And it's all about trauma. And the start of the book is saying it's the difference of walking around saying what's wrong with me versus what happened to me. Totally. And sort of differentiating that. That's a huge, huge distinction. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so post church is is less. I mean, and this is the no dust statement. It, it, it really isn't about whether you're attending an organizational meeting, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the fact that the structures um, were inhibiting, the structures yeah. were misleading, the structures were malforming. Yeah, I think, it, and it was the system. I think that there's a, I think that the system is flawed in that it's this business right and so mm. we're always doing things to keep the business running mm -hmm. and that's a tough thing for me to grapple with because i just don't think the holy spirit is that interested in keeping the business running i think he's interested in other ways and always provides and shows up so i think that's tough for me to wrap my mind around um yeah. i also see sometimes this pattern i've been reading that book i texted it on our group thread of mm -hmm. memes and books that we all have, <laughs> um, called the evangelicals mm -hmm. and it starts from before the revolution of like mm. here's where it started and it goes all the way through the 2016 election and one mm. of the things i noticed is that we are in this pattern of the same thing mm. of um sort of this power structure of saying we have the answer we have the way we have the truth even if we're not saying it like that in some ways we're still saying it because we really put pressure i i often wonder like if we tell people what the text means and i wonder this too when i preach which i don't do very much anymore because i'm conflicted about it mm. but if i I'm telling them what to believe out of this text. Mm -hmm. Am I doing them any favors? Mm. What if instead I pointed them and we broke out in little groups and we like really wrestled with it? Or what if I made it open and we asked questions and I asked questions back, right? It's like, I'm not sure that I'm helping if mm. I'm just saying, here's how you do it. Because I know, and you know from experience, even if you give them a list of books, the percentage of people that are going out and reading the books is like negative one. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, unless you're us, yeah, unless I'm like, I'll read it. So, um, <laughs> I think that I think I was having trouble because there's a, a system, and then of course, it gets into even what we do with the Bible and how we view the Bible. And mm -hmm. I still think, and I'll probably say this to the day I die, we need other voices interpreting it. 
it, it's a hard thing for me to see one gender and one race constantly being the gatekeepers of these mm. texts and of their meanings and of their interpretations. And so for me, that's very hard. I come mm. already in the door with a level of distrust, if I'm honest, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm like, this is only one perspective. Mm -hmm. No, that totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Are there things, are there signs of hope or life? I am sure there and are. It's okay, and it's I, okay if they're not. <laughs> it, I'm not one to judge that because I don't go. So it's hard for me to go, oh yeah, there is. Um, I feel so full of hope in life every time that I do. There's two churches that I've been like, yes, I will preach there. It's my friend Zach's church here in Austin called Restore and then Vox OC. So both of those bring me mm. so much life and hope because there's this diversity. There's a, um, a wrestling with hard things, right? There's like a, and I just, and I know them. So I think I also feel safe because I trust them. Mm. Um, those two expressions give me a lot of hope. Mm. Um, I do think, as is with a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with in the country, um, it goes back so far and there are so many layers and there has to be like a root sort of an uprooting, right? Like, so even when we talk about systemic racism, right? It's mm. back and back and back and back and back. And so the same thing is true for this sort of power dynamic evangelical movement. Mm. It, we have to go way, way back. And so I, I see Christians on their own doing it, right? I see mm. even small expressions doing it. I get nervous when the bigger movements that carry the name to the public aren't doing that. So mm -hmm. in a sense, I feel like there's going to be some stuff that's going to die out. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to look totally differently. I don't think it'll ever die because I think there's so many of us that are like, I don't think I can go back to church. I hear people all the time that are like, now that it's open, I guess I have to go. And I'm like, do you? <laughs> do you have to? And then they were like, I don't know. Should I? Right. It's like this sort of questioning. So um, I think there's always hope. I never want to be a person that says there's no hope. Mm -hmm. um, I just think it's going to take a ton of humility. I think it's going to take a ton of work. I think it's going to take a ton of all of us sort of digging in. Mm. And one thing I've learned in all my reading about, I don't know, the revolution and like all this stuff is that anytime we want to see sort of grassroots change and change that's sustainable is that it's always a cumulative effect, right? Mm. So like a, really good metaphor I read once is that if you go into the pool, you're into the pool, you're sort of swimming, you're immersed, you're doing the whole thing. And when you get out, you carry some of the pool with you. Mm -hmm. And then you go into your daily life and then you go back in and then you get out and you carry some more. That's what it's like, is that every time we dive into these topics, every time we fight for equality, every time we peel back a layer, we're carrying some of it with us. And so some of this change is going to be cumulative over generation over generation. And so we might not live to see it, but I do have hope that the spirit is going to ultimately just heal and do what it always does, you know, make gardens and grow and, and do new things. I just think that it might not happen to the full expression in, in our mm. lifetime. Mm. Bonnie, it's so great to talk to you. You too. I'm honored you guys had me on. Oh my goodness. No, honor's ours. Is this the book? Yes, that's the book. Let the record show 
he was I held showing my phone the, up to the camera. <laughs> and and it was indeed the book. It was. <laughs> it was the book. It was the book. Bonnie, blessings to you and Sai and your sweet family. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Yep. We love you. So I think Bonnie really puts into words, like some of the lament um, feels and is traumatic. Like there's this, this stream of refugees and victims behind this massive machine. Yeah. And, and, and Bonnie, you know, the thing, the thing with Bonnie it has, has been, I've just begun to see how marginalized she has felt and been, you know, her whole life because she's got yeah. a huge brain and uh, she's incredibly articulate and an amazing personality. And yet the whole journey, she was told, you know, you're actually dishonoring Jesus by using those things in, in this way. No, like for people, if people are newer, some of my favorite episodes of Vox, the podcast this used to be prior to right now, <laughs> uh, were early episodes with Bonnie. I like things that like radically affected my theology. And even in just this little interview that, you know, this little interview, this little call in that she just did, um, that stuff she was saying about um how the how the word prostitute was translated mm -hmm, mm -hmm. little things like that drive me nuts cuz that that the way that does reframe the entire room that 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 woman yeah. was in and yep. that's yep. wild yep and it really bothers me that that's something that we have to sort through is like how massive one mistranslated word affects like a a pretty big understanding of something and then the ripples out like the right. reverberations of that are massive yeah and there there's a certain view that gets cemented yeah, as absolutely. the view yeah totally over totally. hundreds of years too like that really yeah like really gets cemented yeah so um i i say i mean that was so good i say we i say we 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 get somebody else all right i mean and we're on a roll we are on a you roll. start with that you start that strong the only you the know? only the uh, <laughs> so the the male version of bonnie who you know is probably out there named brian but um <laughs> there's a male version of bonnie it's got to be our friend shane oh i think it'd be so fun to have shane I on like shane. um can you get him on the phone yes get him on the horn as they say yes awesome Hey, Shane, thank you so much for being here, man. We're so grateful to talk with you. <laughs> well, it's, all, it's great to be here with you, man. And uh, 300 episodes, Come congrats. On. Come on. <laughs> Come on. It just shows you if, well, you're, if you have a lot, enough free time, you can do anything. <laughs> oh, oh, man. No, it's great to, great to be back on the show with you. Uh, so, there, you know, there's a lot. Ooh, there's a lot happening in the church for sure. Um, right. And, and you know, I, one of the things I think we got to start with is by being honest about some of those contradictions and mm. struggles, both within ourselves, but also within the larger body of Christ. You know, we, we, we haven't always done it right. Sometimes we've been known 
more for who we've excluded than who we've embraced. We've been known sometimes more for what we're against than what we're for. So, um, but I'm a big believer, you know, uh, that as my friend Richard Rohr says, the best critique of what's wrong is the practice of something better. Come on. So, so, you know, Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. And I think we need to be the change we want to see in the church. Um, and, and, and part of that is, is beginning with that honesty and, yeah. you know, a lament, a posture of humility is saying we haven't done this right. I mean, no matter who we are, um, the church has got a great deal of funk, um, to, to <laughs> reckon with, uh, that's why, you know, uh, my friend, Tony Campolo, he goes, uh, he says, whenever people tell him the church is full of hypocrites, he says, no, it's not. We've always got room for more. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. But yes. I, I think that that's not always the posture we've had, you know, and I think yeah, that yeah. Uh, if we were a little bit more honest about our struggles, our doubts, then people wouldn't be shocked every time that, you know, a televangelist does something wrong or a pat, not even a televangelist these days, you know, we just see a lot of like those places that we haven't created a, a safe place for for folks to share those things. Um, so I don't yeah. think folks are looking for Christians that are perfect, but they are looking for Christians that are honest. Ooh. And that's the problem is a lot of the time we, we haven't been uh, honest and we've kind of pointed yeah. finger, fingers at everybody else. So um, and my, my, uh, my, I'm in Tennessee and my brother's down here, they go to a, uh, they, they've helped kind of plant this little congregation. It's a, it's a kind of creative uh, church plant that they were a part of. And um, on the, shirts of the greeters as you go in uh you know instead of like suits and ties they have t-shirts on and it says no perfect people allowed <laughs> and uh that, that's kind of their starting point and i think yep. that's a good one you know um yeah so yeah there's a pastor in my neighborhood that said the church is kind of like noah's ark and he said you know think about it that boat must have stunk inside and he <laughs> said but if you get out if you get out if you jump ship you're gonna drown <laughs> <laughs> so like let's do something about the, the stank up in here, you know, but, <laughs> but I don't think that we can, we can pretend that we're going to make it without the church. You know, as even Augustine said back in the day, the church yeah. is a whore, but she's my mother. So we need to love her into a healthier space um, and recognize that, that um, the church is, is kind of what we make it, you know? Yeah. And the last thing I'll say is like, when you, you know, you ask what, what's the way forward. One of the things ironically I would say is that we need to come back to Jesus, mm. that uh, one of the best correctives of what's gone wrong in white evangelicalism is Jesus. You know, uh, uh, it, that it was Gandhi again, that w when he was asked about Christianity, he said, I love Jesus. I just wish the Christians acted more like him. Yeah. <laughs> so we need a Christianity that um, is pursuing Jesus, that Jesus is our sounding board. Jesus is, uh, as Mother Teresa said, the fragrance we want to leave off in the world. Mm. And uh, my wife and I, we were doing our morning devotions this morning, and there was a quote that said, may people encounter me and say, there's a person that has been with Jesus. Mm. And that's kind of what we're after, you know? And I think even as we read scripture, Jesus becomes the lens through which we interpret the scripture um and, mm -hmm. and and the lens through which we understand the world i mean as, as scripture says it's the jesus is the fullness of god if we want to see what god is like we look at jesus and when scriptures seem like they're in combat with each other 
Jesus is a referee, you know, and, and I think what happens a lot of times is that we interpret Jesus in light of something Paul said or something that we pull out of the Old Testament rather than allowing Jesus to be the lens of, through which we're interpreting uh, Paul and, and the Old Testament. So things like an eye for an eye, you know, uh, this was one version of justice that allowed you to do reciprocal harm. Yeah. Uh, you could hurt somebody back in as much as they hurt you. And so Jesus says, Moses told you this, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. And Jesus takes it an even a step further, right? And says, you may have a right to hurt them back, but that's not the best we can do. Yeah. We shouldn't mirror evil. And so he's going to, and, and I think that's why, you know, when we think of Jesus, he's not the, neg- he doesn't negate the law or abolish the law, but he fulfills it. So he kind of shows us the, you know, evolution of what God's most perfect justice looks like and God's mm-hmm. most perfect will. So that's my simple answer, man, is we, a- we, we need to come back to Jesus. Come on, come on, baby. So, so I read a lot of um, tweets that are trying to identify the biggest threat to the church. So some, some are saying it's CRT, critical race theory, uh, is a big threat <laughs> to the gospel. Um, some are saying it's the, the liberation of women into, you know, all, uh, active roles and ministry in the church. Others, you know, are, are saying it's, I don't know, deconstruction or postmodern or whatever. If you, if you were put to that question, the biggest threat to the church is what, how would you answer it? And I, I know just, you're going to object to the form of the question. That's why I've deliberately like, <laughs> I know it's lame to even frame it that way, but I'm just trying to fish around for, so what do you think? What do you, what do you think the church really has to reckon with? Um, yeah. Other than these issues. Cause I, I'm not sure I buy that. Those are the biggest threats. I, I, I would say the biggest threat to Christianity uh, is, is a watered down version of, uh, of, of Christianity that, um, you know, you think of the vaccines and they mm. inoculate us, right? And I think there's a watered down version of Christianity that, so that, that can act in a similar way that can knock, uh, you know, knock this out of us so, so that people, I mean, literally in America, our money is branded within God we trust. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and our economy looks like the seven deadly sins, you know. So, I mean, it's <laughs> literally using the Lord's name in vain. And when we, um, as Kierke- Soren Kierkegaard said, where everything is Christian, nothing is Christian. Come on. Because what happens is we lose that distinctiveness. I mean, you think of the things that Jesus taught, he describes us as the church or as the kingdom is like salt on the earth, right? Like it has that distinctiveness it, it, that, uh, that we are like light in the darkness so that we're, we're to exist in contrast to a lot of the dominant powers and, yeah. you know, yeah. things. So, so I think that that's, um, but I, I would just add to that, that in particular right now in this moment, um, it's not just a watered down, down version of Christianity, but there's a version of American nationalism Come on. that's trying to camouflage itself as Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the da- the biggest dangers to true, true Christianity is this blurring of American nationalism with our faith. We saw that express itself in a really concrete way in January 6th in the riot at the Capitol. Um, but I think that, you know, Donald Trump was a symptom of that bigger disease where you 
feel like, I mean, it, this is not just about a person, but it's about trying to reconcile things that just cannot be reconciled, trying to defend things that are just indefensible. And literally, um, it's as if we've never read Jesus say, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? <laughs> right. right. So, yeah. Yeah, and and and, and, and I you know, and just I, I give you a stat on this. Sorry, no, bro. Just to give no, you a stat keep on going, this. Keep going. You know, like the Lifeway studies, all these studies are are showing that young people are le- leaving the church in in droves. Um, yeah. But what's new is the reason that they say that they're leaving, and mm-hmm. one of the top reasons that young people are leaving the church is because of politics and social justice, and they see the church is out of touch with the 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 pain and the struggles of this world and just promising people a ticket into heaven and i believe in heaven but i also believe jesus did not just come to prepare us to die but also to teach us how to live uh you know and how to transform this world i'm curious like the um it's good while we're while we're quoting um big theologians and scholars kurt cobain in the 90s (laughs) I remember, and I've held tight to this for a long time because I've found, and I was a teenager or something, so I found a lot of power in it, but somebody was talking to him about touring and how he said he would never play large venues. And then they're all of a sudden Nirvana was on this tour where they were in large venues. And they said, hey man, what happened? Like you had this punk rock ethic, you were never gonna do this. And he's like, I changed my mind. And I always found like a really interesting, like there's a lot of freedom in that idea. And I find that a lot of, so we have a lot of pastors and people that work for churches that listen to the podcast and I find that so many people have been formed, you know, their whole lives by kind of that version of Christianity and church that you were just talking about. And they find it difficult to realize that, that elements of that were incorrect, but to change your mind and say, Oh, I was wrong is like almost, it's like, that's like the eighth deadly sin almost in the church for some reason. Like you're not allowed to say I was mm. wrong yeah. and I found out that this is true. So I'm curious, like if you, because we do have so many pastors and so many people that work in churches and not just in this country and different countries. So it's a fairly broad spectrum of people, but how would you encourage people who work in churches to, I don't know, search for or embrace the the idea that we can change and we can be better, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an important question. And when, when I look at, the scripture, one of the things that's really clear is that I, I love that scripture that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, right? That, yeah. that this isn't just about a moment, but about a, a movement of the, the spirit in us. And one of the things that we can look to are the great heroes uh, of the Bible um, who were pretty messed up people. <laughs> so, uh, like, that's you know I wrote this book on the death penalty and I said if we believe that murderers are beyond redemption let's just start here if we believe murderers are beyond redemption we can rip out half the Bible you know yeah, Moses yeah. killed a man in Exodus David killed Uriah to cover up you know his abuse and rape of Bathsheba uh, Saul of Tarsus was a religious extremist that tortured and tried to kill Christians so um, you know that but that's the story is that this whole Faith is about imperfect people falling in love with a perfect God and trying to help each other become a little bit more like the, the, the one that we worship. So that, that's what our, and that, that makes space for other people. It makes space for ourselves to change, right? Because I look at who I was 25, 30 years ago, and I'm not sure how nice I would have been to myself. 
mean, I've disagreed so on pretty true. much every political issue, you know. And I love Jesus, and I think I would have been like, "How do you love Jesus?" And like, don't believe in the death penalty, man. You know. So I think like looking in the mirror is helpful, and and thinking, you know, like uh, it was Chesterton when he was asked, "What's the biggest problem in the world?" And G.K. Chesterton said, "I am." <laughs> you know. Yeah. So we're working on like like the log in our own eye. And and that's why self-righteousness is so toxic, right? And there are different iterations of self-righteousness. I grew up very familiar with the conservative, you know, I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go out with girls at noon, you know, like, (laughs) but there's a progressive version of that, you know, that sort of moral superiority that, like, how could you possibly not think this way or, like, how would you ever buy anything from Amazon or drink at Starbucks or what, you know, whatever it is, like we kind of have this sort of self-righteousness that is crushing and it's not life-giving to other people. So um, that Jesus called it the yeast of the Pharisees and really talked about it as a poison. And so, you know, whether it's social justice circles or conservative circles, they're vulnerable to that self-righteousness. And it, it's very off-putting, too. It's just not nice to be around. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's it's uh, it's a rough thing um, to, you know, because I, I, I think the temptation is to judge the judgers and exclude the excluders. And um, at least for me, I'm just speaking hypothetically <laughs> And the irony of doing that and then becoming one of them um, is always, you know, not lost. Um, so, so we look upon the world. Where do you see signs of of life and hope for the the church um, beyond its just white evangelical expressions, or even within them? But where do you see? Where where do you look and and say, okay, God's got this. We're good. Um, where do you point to signs of life? There, there are lots of them that I see. And I mean, part of what we've been doing within Red Letter Christians is trying to create this sort of cloud of witnesses feel, you know, that there's all kinds of creative uh, Jesus and justice people. We've got, you know, missional businesses on our website. We've got musicians that care about Jesus and justice. We've got, you know, pastors and writers. And so we... Um, Reverend Barber down in North Carolina, you know, he says that the way that you change the narrative is by changing the narrators. So that's part of what we realize is that some of the loudest voices publicly when it comes to evangelical Christianity aren't always the most beautiful. They're not always the most life-giving or faithful. So like, like, and that, and I don't say that in a condemning way, but part of what we want to do is we want to hear folks that their message does sound like good news to the poor, liberation for the captives. So that, you know, there's hundreds of folks on our website. Um, but I look around the country at like who has risen up, uh, you know, in the, the current darkness. And, and it's been said that in the darkest nights, you see the brightest stars. And I think of Tracy Blackman in Ferguson and, you know, Reverend Barber down here in North Carolina and uh, Michael Waters in Dallas and, you know, Mike McBride out in uh, California and Leslie Callahan in Philly. And, you know, there's just so many folks that are rising up. And as you, you know, as I name those, many of them are outside of white evangelicalism. Right, and I think right. it's part of what we have to realize is that there, there are some beautiful things happening and, and, 
you know, the church is bigger. Our history has been bigger. I mean, you, you think of what my friend John the Wilson Hartgrove calls slaveholder religion. Like right. white folks have done some really, really terrible things historically, and we've used the Bible as our defense. Yeah. And and yet, um, there are there is another parallel track on a lot of this of the liberation, like life-giving gospel that has, you know, if you watch the PBS, the the Black Church series, you know, and you look at so many of the other, there's so many signs of hope of what's happening out there. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, so, and I mean, even I think in white evangelicalism, there's a time of shaking, you know, Hebrews talks about this time of shaking where mm. um, it, it, like some things need to fall away and other things can really get better roots and footing. So I'm, I'm a big believer in that. I think that some theology needs to, 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 to give way. Um, and, you know, that's happening right now. I mean, the, even the pandemic is, you know, people's response to pandemic sometimes reveals their theology that God made this happen for a reason. Or, I mean, <laughs> yeah, some of the worst theology I've said is, uh, I don't need a mask because God's going to protect me, but I need an assault rifle. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> so I, I'll never understand that theology. No. no, that's so good, dude. I, man, thanks. Just thanks for the generosity um, you've given us with your time and. Um, y'all, it, y'all, it's uh, really great to talk. Always is. So keep in touch. Let's do it again soon. And um, appreciate y'all so much. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Take care Thank of yourselves. You. Shane. <laughs> Shane is so interesting to me because if uh, he's as close as I've ever come to like meeting an actual prophet mm. in the, in the, in like the, the mold of old Testament prophets, except I think he's actually way too gracious and kind. I mean, the way he lives <laughs> his life is so inspiring, but just that like, we need to come to Jesus. Um, I, I remember one of the most life-changing moments, and I've told the story before here, so I won't bore everybody again, but there was just a guy who literally said his ministry was bringing Christians back to Christ. And and I thought, yeah. oh, because I was one of those Christians that missed Jesus kind of entirely. And um, <laughs> and so I just love any thought, because that, that's where I have personally have hope. Jesus hasn't given up on this thing. Right. And um, and where where it's going to turn is it's going to be in the most unlikely places. It's not going to be an Instagram filtered fog machine station, you know, large stages. Nor is it going to be an egocentric small house churches, right? It's going to be just among outcast misfits and marginalized people, like it always has been. And then before yeah. you know it. Right, what started out as the smallest seed or one of the smallest seeds becomes this shrub that kind of takes over the whole freaking garden. Right, that's how this thing works. So, yeah. man, I have hope. I, that that is the source of lament and hope. Yes, yeah. that that the church doesn't look like Jesus, but it could. Yeah, no, so. I love Shane. He gives me a ton of hope. He's very inspiring. He's very convicting, but not in like a I'm calling you out kind of way. Right. Right. Like in the actual, like, I just feel the conviction for the way he lives his life and the things that he does and just Listen, the amount of lives he's affected. I found there, there, ha- there has to be one other person. I mean, if we're, if we're putting to death, if we're crucifying the Vox oh. podcast with Mike Erie <laughs> and we're resurrecting Voxology. There's only one. There's only one. 
There is only one left. He who must only one. He who must be named. <laughs> I mean, you talk about an all-star lineup. This is it. The this Vox this is th- it is baseball cards. But it's it's the Voxology All Stars, my friend. That's right. But See? it's okay. See, Already we should have out. a we should have a tip jar. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we screw it up, yes, yeah, a swear jar or something. Um, well, you know, I mean, he goes by one name and one, one name, name only. only. <laughs> it's, it's both a noun and a verb. Yes, you 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 can know him and have been hymned by him. <laughs> That's like a Smurf. <laughs> he, you know, we, we learned something about him last time he was on where we just sort of spoke his name and he appeared. And I'm wondering well, if there are some parallels between that name and the name of Beetlejuice. There could be. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say his name three times and we'll see what happens. But I, I mean, how could we have a 300th episode and not talk to our friend Tim Gamba? So, Gombus, Gombus, Gombus. What's the deal? Hey! <laughs> it's amazing. This is so, the Once magic. Again, I'm sitting on my patio. <laughs> now I'm here. You know, last time we said something about you were sitting eating a burrito, and then there's a couple people that wrote in. They're like, "Well, what kind of burrito was it? Like, what yes. kind?" And I was like, "You guys don't worry about it. He's a he's a burrito connoisseur. That's right. Never you mind. Yes, he is. Yes, and they, yes. They, felt they were they were relieved. <laughs> Tim, we have spoken at length. You have been such a kind and gracious conversation partner to us. We've spoken at length about this thing called the church. About our lamenting, about our potential hopefulness. And I wondered if we could just have a brief conversation about what it is that you think's been revealed about the church that that is worthy of lament uh, and grieving. Um, And it's totally fine if we've repeated some of this. I mean, there, there are only so many things. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. He heard the name Gombas, and Seth Erie just magically appears <laughs> at Daddy's shoulder. You want to say hi? Hi. Up, say hi, Vox. Hi, Fox. Now, listen, that's Tim Stafford, and his name is Tim Gombas. Can you say Gombas? Gombas. Yes, and that's exactly how you say it. All right, buddy, we're going to keep talking, okay? You can sit on the floor. Absolutely. Now, um, let's let's talk first. How How does Paul... Before we get to you, how does Paul conceive of this this thing called the church? Um, because even even considering what he means by it and what we mean by it, we begin to see <laughs> how off track we actually are. Yeah, man. These oh gosh, just these little communities of I don't know, twelve, eighteen, twenty people, as many as can fit in the living room gathered uh mostly gathered over a meal get gathered over an extended meal that they that they call the lord's supper um and gather to discuss one another's needs and consider how to how to be this new community that god has created 
which would have been a radical departure from all of the social conventions that they knew in their surrounding culture. So, and the church would have, it would have set alongside one another, all kinds of people that would not necessarily, that would not belong together in social gatherings in their surrounding culture. So rich and poor, which people that would not be found together, people who are laborers, people who are beggars, men and women, people of different ethnicities and that kind of unexpected, unpredictable gathering would have, and when they ate a meal as that group of people um, sitting alongside each other, nobody sitting above or as a more or less important member of that social body, that would have proclaimed the Lord's death because Jesus died to create that kind of people. That's so so the biggest thing in the world would be fellowship, the meal, belonging, mm-hmm. solidarity, inclusion, um, discomfort, recognition of difference and uh, learning to operate as a new social body along with people that we're not used to gathering with. Um, hmm. Yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of what, and especially um, service and kindness and hospitality and learning practices of reconciliation and forgiveness, that would have been, all of those things would have been high on the radar for Paul. And this was a political entity. Yeah. This this wasn't just a, you know, social gathering. This was like, there. this was an expression of a kind of polis. Yeah, well, that, that, that very kind of social gathering is a political statement because it's a statement that, Jesus is Lord over this very kind of people, this political entity, this new, this new social body um, is the social body that matters to God because that's the social body over which the Lord Jesus Christ rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. So when we get to, that's exactly right. Like I'm the, I'm just checking up on your work. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Quizzing pass? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was that you know, that was fun. So so when we when we sit and look at what's happening in America in our specific tribe of kind of evangelicalism, what what do you see? So if that's where we started, <laughs> what what do you think has been exposed over the last 4 years, 2 years? Uh, what is it that, that literally, what is it that just drives you crazy and causes you grief and lament? Well, I cannot, I honestly, uh, this is, it's hard to really look at the last uh, 16 months or the last six years and um, think that there's been anything like a departure. Um, this is all, this mm. is all like in the long stream of everything. So, so the lie is that this is yeah new. like what happened oh my word all of a sudden we have this i mean think about how it is that why i i just i just cannot get this out of my head i think this is one of the most formative realities that european christians came to this land i mean this all goes back to john winthrop I, this is all i can think mm-hmm. of is when he first came and it goes back to columbus sailing the ocean blue in 1492 when Christian Europeans came here and, and saw 
in the name of their, uh, you know, kings and queens who were the, in their minds, the representatives of the Christian God on earth. They did not see, according to scripture, that each human being is a representative of God on earth, but you know, their, their kings were, mm-hmm. kings and queens were. When they saw this land, all they saw was people to be conquered, stuff to be taken, riches to be gained, and wealth. And they unleashed unspeakable violence on the inhabitants of this land and uh, did it in the name of Jesus Christ and in the name of the Christian church. And then when um, people that are closer to our forebears came here, you know, John Winthrop and his crowd, they came here to build a shining city on a hill um, and saw the inhabitants that were here as the Canaanites. And um, mm. a lot of violence ensued. And in order to build a, a God-blessed economy, these very same people and our, our forefathers enslaved African people and built a strong economy on the, on the back of their labor, their stolen labor, and formulated a kind of way of being church and a way of thinking theologically that accommodated those injustices. Mm-hmm. So, like, think about how um, early American churches were mixed-race churches, because white families sat in the prominent seats on the floor and enslaved black people sat in, um, you know, in the, in the less important seats to kind of name their shamed and owned status. So you had this gathering, these gatherings uh, in the name of Jesus Christ that um, sort of mimicked the unspeakable and outrageous injustice taking place on the land. So, I mean, exactly, exactly what Paul rebukes in 1 Corinthians 11. There's a yeah. social injustice happening in the Lord and what they're calling the Lord's Supper. And Paul says, don't call it the Lord's Supper. Um, and he says, uh, it'd be better if you didn't gather. So, I wonder, well, I know that we could say what, what Paul would say to those churches from the beginning don't call what you're doing church and it would be better better if you didn't gather so it's like this goes back 400 years it didn't happen in the last 16 months and then thinking about um george whitfield's day when you know public preaching became spectacle and entertainment um you know uh it's not billy sunday in the early 20th century early to mid 20th century and Billy Graham, that these are not the people that brought in Christianity as entertainment. It's been going on for a couple hundred years. So um, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying all that to say, Oh, you know, we're terrible. I I just, I guess I want to recognize the long roots of injustice that orient what we're doing. And when I, um, the first thing you said, when I, like, what is, where's the hope? All I can think of is um, our hope is in the Lord. My hope ultimately is in Jesus Christ. Um, my hope is in the church of Jesus Christ. But when I look at what is happening in our land and I look at what has happened on this land, 
I have to be honest that I'm with, with what I've been trained in so far, how to think about my world and culture and all that. I don't know where church is like mm. believe in the, the church that, you know, cause God is building his church, but we have like entertainment multiplexes. Uh, we have, <laughs> I, I don't know. We have all these different sorts of things. I mean, is that church, um, I've been trained to call that church. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that that the church that I'm part of can sort of scratch and claw its way toward making a credible claim to be the church of Jesus Christ. Um, but it's, I don't know. I, the last 16 months for me has not been a crisis at all. The last mm-hmm. six years for me has not been a crisis because it's been grievous to see it so blatant. But the accommodations that we have seen kind of bubble to the surface were made so long ago uh, mm-hmm. where we've agreed to do violence in the name of Jesus Christ, or we've agreed to do violence and also call ourselves Christian. You know, and we're, we're the inheritors of that version of Christianity where we can have a cultural arrangement of not loving our neighbors and then say that we're actually followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what are we doing here? So I believe, I mean, I, I do not believe in the church because I look around and it's awesome. You know what I mean? I just, because of my job as a student of the New Testament, it's like, I look at, I have my nose in the text every day and I'm like, man, this is just such a compelling vision. I don't see it anywhere, but man, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. And I, I go to my church and I, and I also have to say there's hope. I find hope in like in our church, which is it's going through a, a long-term s- struggle. You know, I've talked to you guys about it. It's it's like yeah. it's like we're doing our best job to just completely self-immolate. <laughs> and um, it's I don't know, and I'm not. I'm just I'm just part of it. But it's like, man, Margaret, the seven-year-old woman she is a force of nature when it comes to like seeing to it that we are involved in helping refurbish homes that uh, homeless families will move into. Um, and we're, you know, when I, we, we uh, are part of this leadership team of this task force together. And she, she's not a theologian. She has no idea about like theology or biblical studies or these kind of disciplines. She, she's a reader and she's not an idiot, but She's just, she constantly just says, like, this is what it means to be Christian, right? This, what are, or otherwise, like, what are we doing here? I'm just like, yeah, that's yeah. so, like, my hope is in Margaret and and in um, the vision that she has and in, in her sort of indomitable will um, to keep us militantly focused on service to people that are um, less off than mm-hmm. we are here in this city. Um you know, and my, I'm hopeful because of Andy, I should say Margaret and Andy, they give me hope. They help me to hope in the Lord's work in the church because uh, he's someone who is persistent in bringing together the community and looking out for unique opportunities to, to do good. Um, so I don't know. It's, I feel like routinely our, our church is, it's unimpressive to the outside, but it's filled with people that have amazing stories and they're, they're beautiful people and mm. they love each other. And they, we all, you know, we look out for each other. We care about each other. 
Um, and the church has a long history of making some not great decisions. So the, the current situation is, is a, I don't know what's going to happen, but mm-hmm. this is where we are. And there's cause for lament, there's cause for staying together, and there's cause for hope, you know, even though the future is a, yeah. the future is a little bit iffy, I don't know what's gonna how it's gonna go. Yeah, how do you, how are you able to hold both of those views simultaneously? On the one hand, to see the corruptions of the culture, and yet be able to find a place lo- locally that you know allows you to. Um, experience a bit of the dynamic we all hope for. Yeah, I think it's important to uh, to be very careful um, of, to not put being Christian in any kind of BS sort of expressions like positivity or negativity or optimism. Um, like this, get out of your mind. Like uh, it's, there's a great cloud, but a silver lining. It's it's none of that. no sentimentality like get sentiment out Mm. and when you do that um i think you can recognize that in in a holistic vision of being human um that the new testament lays out there are commands to confess sin and to to grieve with those who grieve rejoice with those who rejoice and to hope in the lord and not to hope in like what looks optimistic um so being Christian involves recognizing that this world is beautiful and it's broken and my community is beautiful and it's broken and I am beautiful and I am broken and we are loved by God, but we're in, we're in this enslaved cosmos, even though we also inhabit the new creation age. So it demands mm-hmm. an exploration of the full range of being human grief and, and triumph. And so, uh, the grievous reality demands that we lament. That that means naming carefully how, what a grief the current situation is. It, it involves confessing sin, but sentimentality would tell us well that means like beating ourselves up, or that means being down on ourselves, or something like that. But that's not it's not sentimentality. It's not emotionality. It's just speaking the truth, and then speaking the truth also involves the fact that we are people loved by God. I mean, God just loved getting up on Sunday morning and knew we were going to gather because he loves us. So it's like, how great is that? And we are welcomed by him together. What a, what a wonderful reality to celebrate. And we're going to inhabit the kingdom to come. So like, let's, let's rejoice in this and celebrate it. And God loves all of us so much that he gave us each to each other. And this is going to, we're going to be okay. So Mm. I think being, part of being Christian is learning to inhabit the full range of the character of our current situation as um, enslaved and liberated as alive in Christ and dead in Christ, the full range of all those paradoxes as slaves, but free as sinners, but holy ones. Um, And that the cosmos is beautiful, but broken and it's on its way to being liberated. So, we have to name all of that without saying, well, let's only talk about part of it. Mm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. It's very freeing. That the, I, I'm, I, when you say strip sentimentality out of it, I, I just ran all of that through. Like, 
Sunday mornings from the past 40 something years for me and all the sentimentality that's like woven in. And when you think about the last 400 years and you think from a white stance, a white standpoint and the role that sentimentality played in the foundation of all of this is kind of interesting too. Like the sentiment of, um, the people leaving to be, you know, to the adventure of starting this new thing, but the way in which we did it right. And the foundation, the building blocks that are at the bottom of this were laced with heroic sentiment. And when I look at worship on Sunday mornings and how sentimental it is and how emotionally driven it is and how and we've talked about that kind of stuff a little bit, but even the way that sermons are delivered and how much sentiment is tied into the delivery to, it's just like, there's, it's interesting to, if you, if you're able to step back from that or divorce yourself from it for a second, like the fog of sentimentality for a second mm. and look at the way you're looking at, like the reality of where we exist the reality of what God has done and is doing. Uh, there's a lot of freedom in that idea. And the sentimentality really, really mm -hmm. fogs up the lenses. Yeah, that's the whole point. Sentimentality is designed, it's designed to just kind of like, let's just feel good about ourselves. Let's feel better about ourselves. Totally. We're okay. Yeah. yeah. If you focus too yeah. much on the negative, you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to be a downer or whatever. Totally. Or the negative can be run through the same sentimental lens where it's like, you know, the whole your trash approach of a Sunday morning. Uh, it's its own sentimental. It's, you know, it's just the, mm -hmm. it's the, the yin to the yang of the sentimentality. Yeah, it's, it's ultimately crushing. It's yeah. terrible. I mean, the cross is not sentimental at all. It's a brutal reality. <laughs> right. And it's like, so, it's so but true. that allows us to name our brutal realities and also name the hope that the cross creates because the, the cross does not create positivity or like an optimistic outlook. It creates hope and hope is a discipline. As Willie Jennings says, it's not a sentiment. It's a discipline. Yeah. Come on, come so on. We got, we have to learn that discipline. So Man, good. Tim, you're, it, it's so interesting. Um, the people that originally came here, the white Europeans that came here were fleeing Pharaoh and they were yeah. the Israelites. Yeah. And then generations later, when um, uh, enslaved Africans started learning the biblical story, they were like, you're Pharaoh, we're the Israelites. And they had a completely legit claim to make. And like, that's why in the historic black church, and there's a variety of traditions of the historic American black church, um, you know, the Exodus narrative is so powerful because they, that, that's, that's been their experience. Yeah. Dude, it's so good. Well, Tim, man, thank you. As always. Such hey, love such you good stuff. Always the best. Yeah. Yeah. Really appreciate you, yeah. man. Thank you. You're you're very welcome. Appreciate it anytime you guys want to kick it around. Gombus. The Gombus. name that has been given above every name. That at the name of Gombus podcasts. Will cease. I don't know. I probably shouldn't explore that image any further. But Bonnie, this was casual mode Gombus today too, because he was he, he was couldn't see him, but he was in a V neck. He was just he was like, in a V neck. He was he, he was, was actually yes, he was on vacation mode Gombus. 
<laughs> but even but even then. So so our thanks go to Bonnie Shane and, and uh, Tim Gombas for joining us. Those have been just really important voices um, lately, particularly. And they reflect kind of the full spectrum of uh, lament and hope, but realism, um, prophetic call back to Christ. I mean, it's like, it's really good. So I'm always, and because I think sometimes, hey, we've exhausted this, right? We've exhausted this topic. And then we have three conversations like this. I'm like, nope, we haven't exhausted this topic. I'm still <laughs> inspired and confounded all at the same time. Uh, but the the one the last set of voices we're going to hear from um, are yours, and this part I was actually most excited about because um, you guys we we put out a number um, and asked you guys to to call in, and Tim was getting calls. It rang to his phone, even though that was not his phone number. And so I didn't was, know that was going to be the case. <laughs> he was getting calls from Indiana, like in the middle of the night. Oh, it's the greatest thing ever. We, <laughs> we are a part of the best community ever. Um, and so these are some of your answers. These are some of your thoughts. And so thank you. If you took the time to do this, particularly those of you that came and you called twice, once for lament and once yeah. for hope. I love that. So we're just going to kind of give the floor to you, and then we'll close the show uh, after we're done. My name is Hope, and my hope for the future of the church comes from the knowledge that there are other people out there who want to base their lives off of Jesus and the example we have um, from the apostles and the historical Christian church rather than Christian nationalism and a desire for power. My hope for the church that as individuals we would not kowtow to any of that nonsense and would desire and make it our goal to make Jesus beautiful. I find hope in the many Christians who are seeking to serve not to be served. My hope is that the sermon-centric model will soon be abandoned. Hi, this is Tim, and uh, my troubled times have uh, encouraged me to believe that the disintegration of churches will lead to a reintegration of a universal church under Christ. And I just have a word of hope for the church, of speaking up for all of God's children and speaking and calling out injustice with a heavenly heart. The deconstruction of the church gives me hope for the rebuilding of the church, something only God can do. My hope is actually connected to my lament, I think. Biblically speaking, I think that's an important link. The psalmists and the prophets, they're often lamenting, but they do that because they trust that God is who he says he is, and they want God to show up. They long for God to show up. And so I lament because I have hope that God is still God and that I want him to show up in the church today. And so I have, I have hope in the church less because of the structures and more because of who Jesus is, that he's a God who brings life from death. 
And I'm starting to see that in small pockets. I see Jesus infiltrating the church, both in my little community and in other places nearby. So I have hope that Jesus is who he says he is. And that hope is what carries me in the midst of my lament over all the brokenness in the church. Be clear on what it means to be kingdom-centered by first loving all of God's children well, whether they call upon his name or not, and being able to call out injustice at all levels of the church when we see or experience it without hesitation or fear. I lament the ways that the church has squandered the gifts and callings of its members. My lament is the current default thinking of most of my believer friends prohibits deep fellowship. Vox Podcast, hey, just wanted to say I lament for the church. Quick story. I have a friend who I spoke with today who did not get a ministry job because she was not raised in the right denomination. That is what is wrong with the church. Hey guys, kind of a word of lament over the church. Um, My husband and I live in Argentina and um, do ministry work here, and I have to say it's super depressing to see both here and um, really with our friends throughout Latin America, um, just the adulation of fascist leaders as Christian people to look up to, specifically Trump. Bolsonaro in Brazil, and Putin in Russia. It is pretty disconcerting and really unfortunate. I am afraid the church will never learn to love people. I lament the high places where my fellow white evangelicals worship, but I hope in Jesus and all those who seek to worship him in spirit and in truth. My most recent lament for the church is that we have become, you know, people who are more concerned with defending Jesus, it seems, than we are people who are concerned with being like Jesus. And in a similar sense, my hope for the church is that we would become people who are like Jesus and particularly right now in the sense that we would just become a safe haven for all those who need it, for the LGBTQ community, for people who are deconstructing, for people who just don't know where to go. Um, My hope is that we would become a safe haven for all people. I grieve the fact I've been fired or pushed out of church communities because of taking a stand for justice over this last year. But it gives me hope that for many of us, this disillusionment is leading to a holy discontentment with the church in which it's causing us to fall back on Jesus at the center and to get rid of some of the idolatry and the blind spots that have come with certain traditions. My girls attended church since they were five and went attend church um, and are kind of resistant to the idea of attending church because of the patriarchy and the hate that goes on there in regards to um, homosexuals and anyone who, you know, doesn't fit into their stereotypes. So I don't really know where I stand with the church right now, but what I do know and what I hope in is a good God who um, I believe is a 
worker of miracles and a someone who does the impossible. So that's where my, my hope lies and everything else I'm just not really sure about at the moment. The church is hope and despair, Languishing. peace and chaos, love Salt. and hate, joy and Stewing. pride, light, Disciple. inspired and questioning, it is all these things and more. And if we could have grace to allow all those things to be invited to the table, we could actually start to have conversations about where reconciliation, forgiveness, and repentance might be possible. My hope for the church is that we will be inclusive rather than exclusive. Hi, Mike and Tim. I just wanted to add to the discussion that I think that there is always going to be room for hope in the church because, as it says in John 1-5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And right now the church is being brought into the light and all the darkness that has been hiding for so long is being revealed. And I just believe that we'll keep going. I just wanted to let you guys know I have a ton of hope for the church in this time. I think that any time you go through a big um, deconstruction phase like this, it allows you to get rid of the bad and the old while clinging to the good. And the good is Jesus and the church is his, and um, and he wins. And so I have so much hope. I think this is all healthy stuff that we're going through, and um, I love what you guys do, and I'm very grateful for it. Thank you. Hi, I'm Tom. And I'm Carrie. We, we are, are Vox Listening Baby, Baby boomers. boomers. We are hopeful because we are proof that you can teach old dogs new tricks. And we are lamenting because our peers are not applauding our new tricks. Thanks, Vox. For challenging us. Uh, I am... I am hopeful for the church. And thank you for all you do. And uh, love you guys. Take care. Lord, help us end the xenophobia. Help us love our neighbors. Help us love the communities we've hurt and help us be able to repent and bring to justice the past wrongs that we have done. God, show us how to have hope. Amen. Okay. <laughs> that I get I get teared up. I was teared up on the last one. Yeah, I sent oh that my. to you if you or uh, I sent it to you once, but I've listened to it. And a we've bunch listened of times, a few times. Every time like it cuts pretty deep oh my goodness i mean what a i mean that's it i mean that's it that i've been there... thinking about uh i've been thinking about repentance a ton lately in regards to the church i because i every time people write in and push back on us talking about flaws in the church i just keep thinking about there is that you know gombas has brought up a bunch of stuff about the blood that's on our hands and then there's you know just the 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 history of the church and there was all those native american children's bodies i don't think we even talked about on the podcast that were found yeah. at the and there are certain you know there's a lot of church ties to things like that that we've just never really repented from and i don't know that i think the church can grow or flourish or whatever if we can't repent and acknowledge the dark parts 
totally. And that's what I get from that prayer that she just said was just like, there's, there's a lot to lament and to repent and to confess. And then like she says, the end, you know, give us hope. And I think that's where we will find it as if we can totally repent and confess of all that stuff. But you know, another thing too, just real quick that I've been thinking about a lot. And it's something that you have said multiple times on the pod is about how, gosh, I wish I could remember how you said it how worship can't be divorced um, from justice. Yes. 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 Yeah. So I want to understand that. Um, I, I was thinking about the guy that wrote in that was asking about how to be a worship leader within the new creation dynamics. And, um, this is just, you know, that's just been pecking at my brain. Um, trying to figure out what that looks like. Justice within leading worship or just worship in general within the church. That is that is the Old Testament. That is the message of the prophets. Just because you have your temple and your priests and your sacrifices and your festivals, that does not cancel out the injustice of your society. Totally. Yeah. I think yeah, about that, that was, a lot. Yes. And um, I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm so proud of our community. Yeah. You know, they're just great, great people. Yes the best <laughs> it's the most fun for me this has been the most fun experiment has been to figure totally. out if like if community via a podcast is possible right yeah. like yeah and like you mentioned earlier there's the vox oc church and it's such a wonderful group of people and it's kind of the first the first fruit if i can borrow Ooh. from our own Ooh. series of uh, of what that looked like, but then you know, the micro communities which hit a brick wall with COVID, but yeah. had started. We, we still dream. We still dreams. Room. We still have yeah, dreams. I still think. Uh, yeah, there's still some. There's still some life in that as we're clearing the tunnel. But this idea of being able to create community like this, I, it doesn't seem logically like it should work. But yeah, I feel like it is. Yeah, and it gives me hope. Totally. That's the thing. I mean, ultimately, right, is there are people, we've learned that there are people like us who are still fascinated by Jesus, still curious, still still wanting to figure out a way to walk well. Yeah. And who don't have any tolerance for the BS uh, anymore. We just don't. And hallelujah for all of that. So that's, man, that is the joy of this whole thing. I want to thank very quickly Carl and William and Christopher and Kirby and Christopher. So this episode wow. is sponsored by two Christophers and a Kirby and is a, a William Kirby and a Carl. A C or a K? K, dude. Come on. <laughs> come on, man. It's a K. You know this. Um, but they've come, come on the Patreon team last week. And they didn't know, but they are kind of the first fruit of the new podcast uh, revolution. The Voxology yeah. podcast. And uh, we, we can't, I know we're way over time, but we can't not help but end with our, our sweet blessing from number six. Um, man, we've done this for a lot of these episodes. We got away from it for a while because Tim, Tim did not want us to read from the Bible at all in yeah. the podcast. And so I'm really not we a stopped, big fan of the Bible. We stopped doing that. Just to be clear, that was a joke. <laughs> that was a joke absolutely <laughs> we did we did once we did a blessing once from star trek 
Um, that was one. And then maybe there was a Flash Gordon episode we did, which was way back in the day. Anyway, friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give us peace. We are truly honored to be a part of your life. Thank you so much for joining us. Till next time, friends, enjoy and live Voxology. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash Voxology Podcast and on Instagram at Voxology Podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.